On to episode of Locked On Mariners, after being the team's biggest strength in 2021, does the Mariners' bullpen have an encore in them? We're previewing the relievers, plus we're continuing Flag Week with a pair of players we're high on. All that and more here on Locked On M's. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Tuesday, March 29th, 2022, and this is Locked On Mariners. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. I am your host, Tidey Gonzalez, joined as always by my co-host, Colby Patnode. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, that's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at CPAT11, that's C-P-A-T-1-1. Be sure to also check out our Patreon, where we talk about the Mariners even more, and also get into some non-baseball talk twice a week. Visit patreon.com forward slash control zone for more information on that if you are interested and if this is your first time joining us here on lockdown mariners welcome to the show if you like what you hear give us a follow or subscribe wherever you listen to this we're also now on youtube so if you're watching us hit the subscribe button turn on the notification bell and most importantly tell your friends we greatly appreciate it so let's get into our first topic of the day our biggest topic of the day continuing our position by position preview of the 2022 mariners we previewed the starting rotation yesterday now we're on to the bullpen, which was one of the best units in all of baseball last year. But Colby, bullpens are ultimately volatile. They might be the biggest crapshoot in the entire sport of baseball. And even though that the Mariners unit is pretty much intact, aside from Casey Sadler suffering a season-ending shoulder injury, they've even added guys. Ken Giles, Andres Munoz, they're getting a full year of Diego Castillo. They added uh, Sergio Romo as well. How are you feeling about this bullpen? Obviously, these bullpens are hard to predict, but I'm going to ask you to predict how the bullpen is going to perform anyway. Yeah, that's uh, probably the hardest thing to do in professional sports, really, Um, at least from what we do, the analytics side of things. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, on paper, the Mariners' bullpen is at least as good as it was last year um, and probably better. but, you know, again, like you mentioned, these things are incredibly fickle and, and, you know, the Mariners themselves have had great bullpens that they've brought back the following year and they've just been bad. I think the 2014 bullpen, they essentially brought that back in 2015 and it was it was below average after being great. But uh, we know how important bullpens are. They can, you know, literally turn the tides of an entire season. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't seem like it's something that people often ignore, but is critically important. Uh, it's it's the special teams of Major League Baseball. Um, so, yeah, the Mariners' bullpen is in pretty good shape based on what we know. Uh, but ultimately, it's a bullpen, so we don't really know much of anything, at least not on a day-to-day basis. So, on paper, better. But you know what that paper's worth when we're talking about the bullpen. Right. So a question we commonly get is who is going to lead the Mariners and saves? So there's a lot of guys that took on a high leverage role last year. I assume mm-hmm. that's going to be the case again this year. It's kind of going to be a, a by committee situation. You got guys like Paul Sewald. I mentioned Diego Castillo earlier. Drew Steckenrider is still around. How do you feel about the high leverage situation and how Scott Service is going to make that work this year? I feel like there's there's certainly going to be a hierarchy. Um, I, I I think for the layman, what what this is going to look like is uh, closer by committee. Um, but in reality, what it is, it's going to be Scott Service kind of manipulating uh, his bullpen based on who was available that day, 
to get the best guy, you know, in the biggest leverage spot. Maybe that's the seventh inning. Maybe that's the sixth. Maybe it is the ninth. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of variations there. My guess is, is that kind of like the, the big guy in, in the, in the highest leverage spot, probably going to be Paul Seawald to start mm-hmm. the year. Um, and then probably Castillo is number two. And then I would guess Steckenrider is probably mm-hmm. like the third guy. Um, it could be Giles. It could be Munoz eventually, but I think they're going to try and really ease those guys in. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if there was kind of a hard rule where they're just not going to let Munoz or Giles pitch on back-to-back days for at least the first month or so, assuming they're both healthy enough to make the team, which it seems like they will be. So uh, I, I think that's kind of the, the pecking order you're going for. I, I don't think there's going to be a traditional closer, although somebody may just end up you know, collecting the most saves. But I think if you're looking at like who is the actual closer or, or the fireman out of that bullpen, I think Paul Seawald is, is the number one right now. So you mentioned him just a second ago, Ken Giles. They obviously added him on a two-year deal last year, banging on him being able to come back from Tommy John surgery. He's pitched this spring, has looked you know kind of shaky, but that's to be expected with with someone coming off of the injury and the surgery that he is. Uh, when he's healthy, though, th- we're talking about one of the best relievers in all of baseball. What are you expecting from Giles this season? I'm expecting some rough patches, particularly early. Um, there's going to be days where he just won't throw strikes. Um, it's really usually the last thing that comes uh, from Tommy John surgery is the kind of the feel and the command. The stuff almost comes back, you know, right away. Uh, and we saw that in his in his one televised outing uh, this summer or this spring. Um, the slider was really sharp and it was good and the velocity was 95, 96, right where it needed to be. Um, but he just, the command, particularly the fastball command, he just didn't have a feel for it. Um, and I suspect you're going to see that uh you know, here and there throughout the season. But, um, you know, that's that's why it was so important for him to not have to be the guy um, in those high leverage spots. You can kind of pick and choose your spots with him and, and the expanded bullpen or the expanded rosters really um, do mm-hmm. help with that because you don't have to actually run the risk of using him in back-to-back days. Um, I think by the end of the year, he'll look pretty close to what he was before he got hurt. Uh, typically takes about a year and a half. Um before these guys, you know, really start to feel control and command again. Um, and he's at about a year and a half right now from when he originally had the surgery, a um, mm-hmm. little bit less than a year and a half. So I, I think by June, he should be, you know, more or less back to the old Ken Giles, but I am still expecting some shaky spots here and there. Um, a, mm-hmm. because he's a reliever and all relievers have bad outings and B, because he is coming off the Tommy John. So I wouldn't expect too much right away, but I, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to expect by sometime in June, July, August, um, the Mariners will have a, a a weapon out of the bullpen they can use in, in uh, Ken Giles. Well, and the nice thing is, for now, he's not really in a position where you're you're having to rely on him too much, right? You you have you have Steckenrider, you have Seawald, you have Castillo, you have these guys in place where you know, Giles is the fourth or fifth guy in the bullpen right now, and that's that's great, right? Because that's just kind of a in addition, that that or a luxury rather that you're getting hopefully at some point uh, during the season, uh, and it just lengthens that group. It makes you it, it puts less pressure on you to maybe run Paul Seawald out there for three games in a row or, or what have you. If you're trying to say sweep the Astros or, or trying to you know win a big series or, or what have you, um, and and just trying to to work with cards that you're being dealt, and that's what Scott had to do a lot last year. 
especially when Seawald was kind of the guy and Second Rider was kind of the extra guy. And and, and obviously they had uh, Graveman who missed some time due to COVID. And when he came back, he, he, he was still pretty good, but not as dominant as we had seen him. And, uh, and obviously they traded him away and then they got Diego Castillo, uh, later on, but Castillo came over and he was dealing with a little bit of a shoulder issue as well. And that seemed to greatly impact him at times. Now he's healthy and we saw, we've seen him a couple times now in spring and he's looked fantastic. And like we were talking about with Giles, when he's healthy, he's one of the best relievers in baseball. Diego Castillo is, is the same thing as well. Now the Mariners are getting a full year of him. Which I mean, that's that's a pretty huge boost to this to this bullpen, and probably makes up for some of the the regression that we might see from second rider from Seawall, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, you know, Castillo mm-hmm. wasn't one hundred percent healthy at the end of last year, and mm-hmm. but there were times where he he looked healthy, and it was some of the filthiest stuff you'll you'll see out of the bullpen. Uh, Castillo is that type of guy. He is a high leverage arm, and and yeah, getting him for an extra, you know, three four months. Uh, more than you got him for last year should uh, help. And it, it, he can cover multiple roles. He can pitch the seventh. You know, he can come in and get the final out or two in, in the sixth. Uh, he can close games, and you're going to be fine with him and in any of those roles because he he's legitimately that good. So hopefully he stays healthy all year. He's past the, the shoulder stuff, um, or was it the elbow, whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, he's looked he's looked very good. So um, And so is Andres Munoz. I don't, I don't know if you saw what he did yesterday. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, ar- he's already at 101 and, and you know, throwing yeah. heaters right above the belt. So uh, he's in he's in a pretty good spot. And that's the thing with this bullpen in general, too, is there's a lot of different stuff in this bullpen. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hard for, for opposing teams to deal with over the course of a night, any given night, really. Right. Especially like when you have someone like Sergio Romo coming out and throwing an 84 <laughs> mile per hour fastball in that <laughs> in that slider. And then you throw out Andres Munoz the next inning or, or what have you like that's right. That's ridiculous. That, that's hard to keep up with for any for any ball club. So yeah, it just Romo throwing his his frisbees up there, and and uh, you know uh, same with Seawald, and then Castillo is is kind of a sinker heavy slider guy, kind of ball kind of tails in on righties and kind of buries in on their hands, and yeah, it's it's and then Munoz is just straight gas. Like the Mariners can have yeah. a lot of fun with this, and they're going to be a very tough team to kind of prepare for. Um, again, all, all in theory because it's a bullpen, but mm-hmm. on paper, yes, they're going to be tough to score runs off of. All right. So we're going to be talking about how Casey Sadler's injury impacts things and how the back end of the bullpen is going to shake out in just a moment. But real quick, I need to remind you that this episode of Lockdown Mariners is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I just don't have the time to research every single amazing thing that's going to make my body feel great, and I'm sure neither do you. So what is Athletic Greens? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. It also only costs you less than $3 per day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And for every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S., 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with venient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune green vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash MLB network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You're listening to Locked On Mariners. Thank you again for making us your first listen of the day, just like you do here every day. And just a reminder to check out Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts just like us. So let's continue our discussion here about the Mariners 2022 bullpen. Casey Sadler out for the year with a... Season-ending shoulders uh, injury, he's going to have to have surgery on that. Maybe he's already had surgery on that. I'm not too sure about that. But they're going to be without Sadler for, for the rest of the year. And he really took over for JT Chargois towards the second half of the season when Chargois went to Tampa Bay and the Castillo deal. Kind of filled out that role. The fire extinguisher of the bullpen, if you will. I, I, I think that's probably a good way to put it for, for Sadler. They brought in Sergio Romo. We talked about him a little bit earlier. What do you think about Romo kind of filling that that Sadler role for the Mariners? I think it's probably what's most likely to happen. Um, it's mm. probably the role he's best suited for. We know Romo, you know, the, the pelts are on the wall. He's got the World Series rings. He's accumulated a ton of saves in his career, but that's not who he is anymore. He's not that, that type of pitcher. So he is probably the guy who comes in. Um, you know, sixth inning, the Mariners are up three to two, and, and they got a guy on second and end. Mike Trout is at the plate, right? Like mm-hmm. you're probably going to Romo unless, you know, they want to go a little higher leverage because it's Trout. Um, but that, that, that's pretty much the role. He's going to be Casey Sadler. He's going to be JT Sharkwall from the first half. Um, and we saw last year how critically important that role is to be able to, you know, take out your starter maybe before you were planning on it or because maybe before you wanted to and feeling right. pretty good that you're not going to blow this lead because you have a quality reliever in that spot without having to tap into the seawall uh, Steckenrider, rider uh, you know, uh, Castillo type of guys. Um, the Mayors will do it sometimes, but I really think they want Sergio Romo to handle this job. Um, a lot of his outings last year were uh, shorter than one inning, one inning. So I do think he's going to be the guy who comes in to get one or two outs and then, and then he's done for the night. Um, it's, it's, it's the role he's best suited for. He, he generates a ton of weak contact. He's probably not the guy like if, if you know if you need a strikeout, you're probably right. rather be going to Seawald or, or Castillo or somebody like that. But if, if you just need mm-hmm. you know to get a quick out here uh, to get to the sixth or the seventh, uh, Romo's probably going to be the guy. So for the rest of the the bullpen, then because now you got to factor in the fact that rosters are going to expand to 28 guys until May second. So. You have extra spots. You have two extra spots on the roster. I would assume that's both going to be pitchers. We'll see. We'll see how they want to handle it. But considering how the Mariners have always liked to have a, a large bullpen, a large selection of arms, I would say that it's a safe bet that we're going to see maybe 10 relievers on this roster to start the season. Probably mm-hmm. nine, but but I, I definitely wouldn't rule out 10. 
So how does the uh, the rest of this this unit shake out for you then? I, I know that you put together a 28-man roster projection on our Patreon that uh, can go check out if they subscribe. Patreon.com forward slash control zone. That link will be in the description if you're watching us on YouTube. It's also in the description uh, wherever you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so so how do you how do you feel that's going to uh, to shake out on the back end? There's a lot of guys: Johan Ramirez, Eric Swanson, Wyatt Mills, Matt Festa. A lot of names to go over here. Yeah, I feel like um, you know Anthony Mashevitz is is probably a lock to make this team, even though I, mm-hmm. I don't think he should be, but it sure seems like he is. Um, I would have a hard time imagining that Johan Ramirez doesn't make this this roster. Um, he's been very good this spring. He really improved last year. And he might have the best stuff in, in the bullpen. Um, mm-hmm. And we just spent the first segment talking about how stacked and loaded the, the bullpen is. And, and Ramirez might have the best raw stuff of any of them. So it's kind of feels like he has to make this team. And then personally, I think that because Matt Brash is going to be the number five starter, that's my assumption, they're going to have to carry somebody who's kind of a long guy or somebody who can piggyback off of Brash. There's an outside shot that's George Kirby, but I kind of doubt they go that route. So I'm leaning more towards Justice Sheffield, um, who's been okay um, in his in his spring outings. Um, yeah. And you can kind of get him to go one or two innings uh, once or twice a week um, and kind of piggyback there. And because of the 28-man roster, you can do that. Uh, I think the last spot is, is probably going to come down to Eric Swanson or um, maybe Matt Festa. There's a couple other guys uh, you know, that maybe – uh, some minor league uh, free agent guys who can who can come in and, and compete for that spot, but it sure feels like it's between those two. Um, Swanson was was pretty good last year. Uh, I, I know he got he got uh, you know hit pretty hard yesterday, but uh, no, he got toasted. Brad Miller he, destroyed him, and then Yanni Hernandez he I think also got him. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame the wind for those. Um, sure, I'm sure, just choosing sure. to do that. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, so it's gonna come down to one of those two. Uh, the good news is, is that Swanson does have a an option left, so the Mariners mm-hmm. can send him down to Tacoma without any risk of exposing him to waivers. And I do wonder if maybe they do that and stick him in the AAA rotation just to kind of mm-hmm. keep him stretched out and kind of used as an emergency guy because right now the Mariners don't have that guy. I mean, I guess next up would probably be Mark Gavages if he was healthy, but that's kind of a big if. So um, if any one of the, the – top four guys goes down it, it's probably sheffield and then unless mark averages mark mark averages is healthy um it might be swanson next and that's not great i just don't think they're going to push kirby um all that hard right. here early in the year right. right all right so let's move on to our flag player so colby this was your idea we did one yesterday but for those that are tuning in that didn't listen to yesterday's episode Kind of explain what what flag week is and why we're doing yes. this. Yes. Yeah, so the idea comes from uh, Christopher Harris, who used to uh, write fantasy football at ESPN, has since moved on, has an independent podcast um, called uh, uh, Christopher Harris. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a really good podcast. Uh, it's Harris Football. It's, it's a really mm-hmm. good podcast. I recommend it if you guys are into fantasy football. But basically every year he would do this article where he would – plant flags on 10 players and basically the idea here is that he's staking his claim on this player um by planting a flag in in him um Mm -hmm. and it's just this is a guy that either i think i like more than everybody or that i just really really like it's not necessarily like a my guy type of thing but it's very similar Mm -hmm. 
Um, so like if, if Ty wants to plant a flag on Julio, like everybody's doing that, but that's fine. Like it's not supposed to be right. just like deep cuts and, and you do whatever you want. It's just, this is a player that I really like uh, for this year. Right. And uh, it's, it's really, it's that simple. All right. So yesterday, and, and we're going by the rule that we cannot pick the same player that the other person has. So yesterday I picked Matt Brash. You picked Luis Torrens. Mm-hmm. I gave you first pick yesterday, so I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll take first pick here, even though that I All think right. we we both know who who we're taking already. So oh, we'll see. <laughs> well, I think you know who I'm picking at least. So I, I'm taking a Eugenio Suarez, yeah, who was brought over in the trade with uh, with the Reds that, that got Jesse Winker, and and Suarez has kind of been the the forgotten guy, right? He's the uh, he's the add on. He's the money that helped you get Winker for a lower cost, right? That's how he's being viewed. I, I think he could actually be useful this year. I think he could actually be legitimately good this year. We're talking about a guy that's that's just two years removed from... I mean, and he still hits a ton of home runs, by the way. Um, but but this guy, he, he can hit for a high average, get on base, slug at a, you know, at a high percentage, all, all that good stuff, all that stuff that you would love from a third baseman, he does it, right? And he plays with probably fringe average defense, but let's be real about it. Kyle Seager's defense was declining as well over the last couple of years. And his offense was, I mean, he hit a lot of home runs last year, but he didn't hit far high average. He didn't get on base a ton. Neither did Eugenio Suarez. They were more or less the same player last year. And I think at the very least, this is a push from Seager to Suarez. I think you're going to at least get the same amount of production out of your third base position this year. But I think there's a there's a potential for even better here because Suarez has just never really been this guy. And there's been a lot of things that have happened to him over the last couple of years. He had to have shoulder surgery after a weird accident in a pool. He got a really gnarly bout with COVID that, according to Jason Churchill of baseball of the Baseball Things podcast and Prospect Insider has said, people have told him that that the COVID thing really messed Suarez up and on top of that, he also had to play a new position last year. He had to go from third base to shortstop, which is absolutely unheard of. You, you never hear of guys. You hear of guys going from shortstop to third, shortstop oh, yeah. to second, but you never hear of guys going from third to shortstop. And it did not go well for him whatsoever. It was terrible. <laughs> he he was awful out there. They finally moved back to third in um, in May, in early May, and. That's when the offense started to click a little bit better for him. He was still not great. And the strikeouts have gone up over the last couple of years, and that's kind of been a steady thing for him. But in the month of September and the you know few games that he played in October, he was quite literally the best hitter in baseball by WRC. Like he, he uh, what did he slug? It was like something over 800. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was ridiculous the kinds of numbers that he was able to put together last year in the, uh, in the latter half. Um, I think just being able to be further removed from the surgery, being further removed from the effects of his, of his COVID diagnosis and all that, I think that's going to help him getting back to third base and knowing that he's going to stick at third base and maybe DH some, I think that's going to help him. I think that's going to put more value in the bat. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think that he's going to, you know, I, I don't have any delusions of him hitting 50 plus home runs again. Like, don't get me wrong here. But I think he could hit at least 30 plus this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he hit 250, got on base at like 330, 340, 
and you know slug you know for a high slugging percentage and and uh hit 30 35 home runs this year i i would not be surprised at all so who's your guy yeah um i'm gonna go with abraham toro uh old honest bull um Mm -hmm. he was pretty darn good when he came over from seattle last year particularly uh in august he was kind of carrying the offense for a little while with uh with ty france um and luis trends um but this is a guy who you watch play and he's not you know there's there's nothing super like fun about his profile um Mm. he doesn't have like you know plus power he's not the fastest guy in the world he doesn't have you know just rocket for an arm uh but what he does is he makes a lot of contact and he gets a lot of hits he also gets on base Mm -hmm. and he's an above average runner there is some power in the bat um so i kind of look at a guy like abraham Toro, and i go this guy might be might we might look up at the end of the year and abraham Toro's hitting like 280 and we're wondering Mm -hmm. how can we get him more at bats um because right He's got that kind of contact profile. He's going to hit for a pretty good average. He has a pretty high floor, as is. Um, he's going to move around some. He's going to have to play some second. He's going to play some third. Uh, he got into the game in left field the other day, so we'll see how how often they try to do that. Um, he's going to DH some uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Toro's a guy who could get 400, uh, 450 plate appearances this year, hit 280, and we're going into next year thinking, of, like, can we get this guy in, in our everyday lineup? Can he be a six-day-a-week type of player? I think that's the kind of year we're about to see from from Abraham Toro. I think something in the 270, 340, 400, 420 range. Um, I think I think that's totally realistic, and, and there is a little bit more there in the power department. Um, so, you know, 400 plate appearances, maybe 12 home runs, something like that. And he's a pretty good uh, base runner also. So he's just a good, solid player to have off the bench. Um, Marwin Gonzalez is a pretty uh, common comp there. Um, and you can certainly see why there are, uh, quite a few similarities. And the Mariners apparently like him to, uh, Ben Zilberist, one yes. of our favorites. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that would be, that would be nice. I've always, I always wanted Ben Zilberist on the Mariners. Yeah. <laughs> really wanted Same. him in 2014. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so me picking Suarez and you picking Toro actually kind of creates a fun little discussion here because, Hey, let's say that Suarez comes out slow again. When is uh, when is the point for you that you're swapping out Suarez for for Toro full time at third base? Because Toro Toro looks about maybe above average defensively there. Yes, uh, that day is today. Um, no, it, <laughs> it's going to be at least six weeks. Um, yeah, at the very least, uh, because the one thing that you don't want to do is you want Suarez's bat in the lineup because your lineup is kind of uh, it's kind it's of. Power. Yes, you need you need some thump there, and, and Toro's not that guy. And and uh, while well, do you think Toro has some pop when you're start when you're talking about an infield of Ty France, Adam Frazier, J.P. Crawford, and and Abraham Toro? Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of thump there. I mean, Ty France probably, I Ty France has never hit twenty home runs before, so um, there needs to be more power there. So I'm giving him at least six weeks. And like you said, he doesn't have to be like you know the forty nine home run guy. Um, if he's even just like 230 with average on base skills, um, yeah. fringe average on base skills, he's going to be deserving to play pretty much every day. And that doesn't mean you won't DH him some days. That doesn't mean you won't, uh, you know, uh, just bench him in favor of Toro a few days. But you also want that DH spot to remain open because right now all of your power is going to be coming from your outfield. 
and you have four outfielders that you're trying to get at bats for uh, on a pretty much a daily basis. So you need that DH to be available. Uh, mm-hmm. So yes, it, it's to me because Toro can play a little bit of second. He can play a little bit of third. He could probably fake it at first base. He probably will mm-hmm. at some point, and hopefully he can play a little bit of left field. Uh, I think it's just easier to get him in the lineup without clogging the DH because you do need Suarez's power, even if he's a below average overall hitter. You still need that clout in the middle. For sure, for sure. Yeah, you want to be able to do damage, and you mm-hmm. lost quite a bit of potential to do damage with Kyle Seager eventually, you know, having his option declined and then retiring. And so, um, like I said, at, at the very least, I think you're making up for the loss of Seager with Suarez, and you have the potential to get better there as well. So, yeah, I'm pretty high on Suarez. I know a lot of folks they are kind of just overlooking him right now, just kind of balling it up throwing them in the recycling bin i i don't think uh i don't think we should be doing that plus the guy has a fantastic personality and don't we want him to be hitting you know for 250 260 and after every game saying good vibes only and all that stuff do you don't you want that guy in the clubhouse he sounds just awesome he sounds like a great time and just an absolute amazing fit for an already incredibly fun clubhouse so I, I, I hope that he's here for, uh, for the duration of the, of the season. And if he is, that means that he's probably hitting pretty well and probably playing pretty well. So uh, that would be a lot of fun. And uh, on that note, that is going to do it for our first episode here on YouTube. Or if you're just listening to us regularly, this is just another, you know, it's just another Tuesday for you. But thank you so much for joining us here on Locked On Mariners. For Colby Patnode, I'm Tidane Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez. That's D-A-N-E G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode and thank you again for making us your first listen of the day just like you do here every day now make your second listen of the day locked on mlb where paul francis sullivan and please call him sully brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues president pass it's free wherever you get your podcast just like us so have yourself a beautiful baseball day and we will see you tomorrow peace